Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 638 with Nick Marks. Nick has done the hard work research on zeroing in on the things that make us happy at work, and he shares the best practices we can follow. So you'll learn, one, the five elements of a happy work life, two, how to draw the boundary between your work and your life, and three, how to boost motivation and engagement in just five minutes. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, Visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP638. And if you want the summarized goods, sign up for the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can read what Nick's gems of brilliance have to say in about three minutes, write in our email box, as well as access the vault of all the gold nuggets from all the guests. Now here's Nick's story. Nick Marks was once described as a statistician with a soul due to his unusual combination of hard statistical skills and soft people skills. He's been working in the field of happiness, well-being, and quality of life for over 25 years with a particular emphasis on measurement and how to create positive change. He's the founder of Friday Pulse and has worked with over a thousand organizations and teams measuring and improving their happiness at work. Big thanks to Nick for sharing his wisdom with us. A big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Nick. Nick, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. It's good to be here. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom. And you have been called a statistician with a soul, which is a nice little moniker. Maybe could you start us off with a statistic or two that stirs your soul? Is there a number you find yourself coming back to again and again? And you're like, you know what? I find that hopeful or I find that troubling. But I think of this number a lot. Well, I think there's a really nice number. It was two numbers, five and 15, about 350. They're called Dunbar numbers. And they are basically our circle of, of friends. And that most of us tend to have an intimate circle of five friends who are we really close to, roughly, I'm talking. And, and then a, a next circle of 15. And then sort of 150 is our tribe. And particularly during COVID, I think, you know, and the fact that we've all got sort of restricted lives, I think it's quite good to identify the five and the 15 and to make sure you're really maintaining those relationships and kind of let the 150 go for the moment. And like, you can pick it up when this is all over. So I think those are those are really nice numbers I like at the moment, 515 and 150. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, thank you. Well, could you give us an overview orientation before we dig into, you know, what is Friday Pulse and your work there? So yeah, I'm a statistician and I've been very interested in 
measuring people's experience of life for quite some time now. I sort of started off doing quality of life statistics and then moved into more well-being and happiness lately. And Friday Pulse is sort of a merger between two different strands of my life. And that kind of is the statistician and the soul bit in that uh, it's, it's about how people enjoy their jobs. And so every week we ask people, you know, how have you felt at work this week? And we're basically looking to try and support organizations to create more good weeks for people. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's basically what Friday Pulse is. Okay. Well, so, I mean, happiness, you know, hey, that's great. We'd all like some more of it. And it's, it's a good in and of itself. Nonetheless, on how to be awesome at your job, I'm going to need to, to hear a bit about the connection associated between, between happiness and, and performance, being awesome at your job, be it for individuals or teams or organizations. Uh, can you draw that linkage there for us? Yeah, very, very explicitly in some ways. So when we are enjoying our jobs, so firstly, happiness is a sort of multifaceted sort of idea in that, you know, we can think about being happy at a music concert or festival or something. And I'm not talking about that type of happiness at work. I'm talking about the happiness that comes from enjoying your work, uh, liking the people that you work with, being curious, being inspired. And in that sense, uh, we know very well that people who enjoy their work are are much more productive. And that's both in terms of the quantity of work they do, if it's a more sort of piecemeal work, and also the quality of the work that they do, and particularly links into innovation and creativity. You know, we're not creative when we're feeling, when we're unhappy. We're not creative when we're not getting on with the people we're working with. We're not creative. We don't care about our work. So creativity and innovation is hugely, hugely linked to enjoying our work and enjoying collaborating with the people we're working with. So it's very, very linked to productivity and creativity, and then also to other good things for organizations like staff retention, reductions in conflict, you know, things like that are much better as well. And I can give you very, very specific stats if you want me to. Well, you know, I actually was going to go there and, and, and we don't have to go with every one of them, but maybe some of them that are the most eye popping, like, holy smokes, you know, happy folks stay at their job five times longer, you know, or, or kind of whatever's really striking. So on the staying in the jobs longer, so if you we, we measure people's experience every week. So we can look at in quarter one how happy people were and did they leave in quarter two? And we know that people who were unhappy in quarter one are twice as likely to leave the very next quarter as other people. All right. You know, so I mean it's not it's not the only reason people leave unhappiness, they leave for other reasons too, but it's a major reason. And it's one that's actually really dealable with for organizations. So that's very precisely so. And in fact, sometimes we think of it not in terms of just it's called risk ratios. We can also think of it in terms of scales. So we have a one to five scale, a five point scale. And if you a team moves half a point up, then that's associated with 18% uh, lower staff turnover next quarter. It's also associated with a seven and a half percent increase in productivity. So they're very, very tangible and very quick, some of these indicators in how much they translate into real bottom line stuff. Okay. Well, so then let's talk about it in terms of the measurement. I understand there are, there are five ways to happiness at work or, or, or how would you begin chunking this up in terms of us being able to get our arms around happiness? Well, it's a different thing. So there's, there's the outcome that we're thinking about, which is we define very clearly as have you had a good week, basically. And we do it as a week because work experience ebbs and flows. It goes up and down very quickly. Weeks are really convenient uh, lengths of time to do it over. So that's our outcome. And then it's like what drives increases in that. And we know that there are particularly five main factors that, that increase that. We call them the five ways to happiness at work. And they are connect, which is relationships are really critical. Be fair, which is if the system isn't fair, people 
they get angry pretty quick to empower people so basically it's about autonomy delegating using your strengths to challenge people it's a total misnomer to think people don't are going to be happy if they're not working you're bored you're not happy then uh, and actually we like a bit of stretch and learning and then the fifth one is to inspire them that's sort of about meaning purpose accomplishment so those are the five big things connect be fair empower challenge inspire and if teams and organizations get those right then people are much more likely to be happy at those workplaces okay so that sounds right. I'm sure he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> We've been uh, fine-tuning it for a long time with many, many people. Well, it's not exactly new science. I mean, you can mm-hmm. see Maslow in there. You can see if you any theory you know. I mean, if you if you happen to follow something like Daniel Pink's Drive, then his three are there. You know, autonomy, mastery, uh, and purpose, or. Uh, Seligman uh, in positive psychology, his PERMA, they're not dissimilar. The the thing that we do a bit different is we frame them in terms of positive actions to make them easy to act on. Mm -hmm. So we just change it around a bit. Okay. Well, well, so then in in terms of the, have you had a good week? You know, you've got a number of of tools you've worked through from like 110 questions and 15 questions. And so with that Friday check-in, kind of what are we asking? Is it just the one? Have you had a good week? So the Friday check-in, so we, we do two main sort of pulse uh, surveys, if you like. We do we do the weekly one, and the weekly one has to be really short. You've got maybe two minutes of people's time on a Friday to capture a bit of data. So we ask people how they felt to work this week, from unhappy to very happy. And then we ask them actually sort of text-based data, which is things like, what's a success for you this week? Do you want to thank anybody in your team? Have you got any frustrations? And with JC, they're trying to capture things that can be acted on at a local team level to improve their work in a weekly flow way. Mm-hmm. And then once a quarter, we do a, what we call a culture profile, which is 15 questions based on those five ways to happiness at work. And that's a more in-depth, a more like an orthodox staff survey, shorter, quarterly instead of annually or biannually, more actionable, but it's still a similar thing. And you're asking 15 questions and then you're basically trying to get into more of a planning cycle there or three-month sprint about an organization doing some changes, whereas the weekly one is more like a sort of tech retrospective conversation about how was last week, how can this week be better? And with the the five ways and and the 15 questions, I guess I'm curious, is there a particular question or two or three that seems to have a disproportionate amount of explanatory power or a correlation to the happiness? Like, you know, hey, all 15 are important. All five ways are key. But by golly, these one or two things sure do go a long way. Well, as you, you briefly said earlier, I, I mean, I started off with 100 questions and I went down to 80 to 40 <laughs> to 15. And you're always choosing those on the power of their ability, not only to individually predict good outcomes, but to when you have the 15 together that collectively they create a good broad breadth to as well. So you're trying to do two things, which is slightly contradictory in some ways, you know, which is to sort of have the biggest impact and then have the widest impact. So they, they're sort of carefully selected for that. But well, I mean, you know, it depends what you mean. The fastest acting is probably when relationships go wrong. So, you know, if your team relationships go wrong, you become unhappy very quickly. But other ones are more slow burning. So if you haven't got a sense of sort of your works worthwhile that's more of a slow burner we see differences between different sectors so but generally speaking that if you're proud to work for the organization that you work for if you're using your strengths at work and you've got good work-life balance that's a good start (laughs) yeah good start that's great you know thinking about my team right now hi guys they'll be working on this episode (laughs) 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 and sometimes i think man i am probably 
too hands off, you know, in terms of I'd love to, I'd love to do more of the regular check in and, and, and coaching and feedback and and guidance and, and motivating and inspiring. And then I don't for any number of reasons, but that's not the topic for, of this episode. In some ways it is. I mean, I think it's an interesting point in that I think we can sometimes, I'm a very hands-off leader, I think as well. And I, I think sometimes people want a bit more from me than I than I realize that they do. And and one of the things we try to do is really encourage team leaders to have a conversation each week, but just a short one, 15 minutes. So, you know, our data is all fed back to the team and the team leader on a Monday. And they talk about what was the success, who they want to thank, any frustrations and how they, and actually it's doing little and often, you know, your, your coach, when I was young, trained as a therapist, and you'd learn from that process that actually regular, a regular sort of ritual really helps. Okay. Well, and so, well, well I guess what I was driving at then is, is that's encouraging, is that I think that my team seems very happy and and I think we are probably nailing it on on these. I'm going to chat with him afterwards. <laughs> Make sure I'm just not assuming things in terms of being proud of what we're doing and the impact we're making from the show, using their strengths and having the flexibility uh, and, and work-life balance associated with which hours they work and how many hours they choose to work in a given week to kind of scale up or down. And most weeks we got some good flexibility there. So, so that's encouraging and food for thought in terms of you know, hey, where to start. And, and that's really what I want to zoom in now. I think we've built a great why here and, and really established that uh, we have a rich, rich set of evidence underneath this. So, so Nick, lay it on us. What are the, the top actions we can take to make a world of difference in our happiness at work and, and start seeing some of these benefits? Well, particularly now as we're, you know, in this really weird time of you know of all of us having lived under restrictions for a very long period of time now and a lot of us working from home i think that work-life balance is one of the critical ones which although people have got rid of the commute by working from home not everybody has but but a lot of people have structure of work i think has really got disrupted you know we used to use that commute or going to the office as a way of separating out parts of ourselves, you know, so we've got our home self and we've got our work self and we have a sort of way of moving between it. And I think that a lot of people, absolutely myself included, have slightly struggled with the lack of separation between work and life that we now, a lot of us are living with. And so I think one of the top tips really for 2021 is to is to introduce a bit of structure to our lives that actually helps us demarcate work and work on the rest of our life. So we've got a boundary there again. And I think that's certainly one of the ways to be happier at work and in life. So yeah, so let's hear it. When it comes to the structure and the boundary, what are some of the the great practices and things that you've seen as, as really handy for folks right now? So rituals, I think, are good. And the commute in some ways was a ritual. And I think it's about how you recreate those rituals. And so some of that might be that, you know, when you finish work, you turn off your computer. I mean, I know lots of people are then going to want Netflix, want to watch Netflix again on the same machine. But, you know, it's basically, you know, how do you separate that? So do you turn it off? Do you then go for a walk for 10 minutes around your neighborhood? Do you do something which really, before you go back into the family situation or the domestic situation that you're in, that actually allows you to leave that behind and also really strive to leave it behind. I mean, there's so much stuff about not taking your phone to bed, not doing, checking emails late in the evening, and I'm as guilty as anybody else of doing that. But I do think those things are exceptionally health, healthy and introducing you know, just some light rituals that work for you. It can be changing your shoes. I mean, it can be as simple as that. You know, Just mm-hmm. doing something, changing your shirt, doing something that actually says, right, I'm now not working. 
And organizations need to respect that. Actually, I moved my organization to a four-day week uh, during last summer because I think everybody was struggling so much and everything was bleeding into every other day. I said, look, give me four good days and then have another day off. And actually, it's worked really well. We haven't seen any dip in productivity. People have done really interesting things with their extra day volunteering or some of my coders are doing sort of um, open source work. Obviously, some are doing childcare and things like that. But I think it's about organizations and the employee having a new contract around that and a new understanding about it that we're all human beings and we've all got things to juggle. But the Mm -hmm. boundaries, I I think finding rituals to mark the boundaries is, is a really good way. Well, I love that. And, and I'd, I'd like it if we could hang out there for a little bit longer in terms of are other ideas uh, coming to mind or you've, or you've heard from folks in terms of changing the shirt, changing the shoes. I was talking with my buddy Brad about how it's been weird for him shifting to working from home, even, even pre-pandemic in his role. And he's like, I, I've tried things like, I, do I just hop in the car and drive around the block yeah. <laughs> a couple of times since I don't have a commute anymore? So yeah, I think some people really are struggling with this. And uh, to the extent that you've heard of more rituals that are working for people, lay it on us. Well, I know some people who they mark the boundary with their run of the day. I mean, I'm, I'm never a runner. I'm not a creature of speed. But I mean, a walk is good, you know, a run, a meditate, a yoga, a mindfulness, whatever. It, so you can break it with something else, but it's, it's read and it, leaving it behind. And, and of course, for leaving behind at the end of the day, a list is very good, isn't it? You know, you write out the things that are still on your mind. Take five minutes at the end of the day. Don't just stop the last task. You bump, actually then just take five minutes. Okay, this is what I've done today. This is what's still open. You know, I must pick up in the morning. This is just another random thought. Put them down. Shut the notebook. And then you then it's out of your head. I mean, it's getting stuff out of your head because what happens? Our minds don't. They don't just sort of stop. You know, they they're still processing lots of stuff. So so just you know, let set them in the book and do that and leave them behind. And actually, you'll come mm-hmm. back. I mean, it, the bizarrely, the thing with creativity is that sleep works so well for creativity. So actually, leaving yourself an open question, which is a nice open question, you know, you might dream about it. You might wake up in the morning with a new idea. There's all sorts of weird ways the mind works. Well, that's an interesting little distinction there in terms of, on the one hand, writing it down, having it out of your brain is a relief. Yeah. And uh, it lets you kind of be at peace and move on. On the other hand, Having something in the background to noodle on does unleash some creative goodies. I guess maybe to have the best of both worlds, you want it to be sort of a fun, happy, positive thing to noodle on as opposed to what is his deal? <laughs> I guess so. And I, I'm sure I'm contradicting myself there. But it, and also, because I'm slightly obsessed with my work, I, I never quite totally want to leave it behind. But I think it depends what type of work you do. Mm-hmm. And like I'm often one of the books I've got on the go. I tend to have two or three on the go at one time is a sort of businessy book or book I'm trying to read for that. So sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that in the evening anyway. But it's really the thing, it's leaving behind the things, particularly that are stressing you and getting them down or, or task-orientated stuff. But people will find their own way. I mean, there's not one way. It's, it's, there's a multitude of ways of doing it, but it is about how does it help you feel good in the evening? How does it mm-hmm. help you be a good husband, father, wife, mother, lover, friend, whatever it is, you know, because relationships outside of work are more important than work there, I say, but they probably are, Mm. you know, it's not, not many people go to their grave thinking they worked harder. There's lots and lots of people who go to their, that wish they'd, you know, they'd love their family more or whatever. So you, you do need to give time and attention to these people that are the cornerstones of your life. And if you're always thinking about your work, you're not going to do that. Okay. 
Well, so let's hear some other key practices, things that, that make a world of difference in boosting our, our happiness at work. So I'm very interested in the team. We're very social creatures. In fact, it would be my criticism of Daniel Pink when you look at his drive. He's very individualistic and he doesn't think about the social environment very much. You know, there's a little bit about meaning and purpose, which can connect us with our contribution. But I think our relationships are really, really important for our happiness at work. And I think that teams, the reason that we work together in teams is because one plus one equals more than two. You know, we have two minds and we get something more synergetic that comes out of it. And I think that teams are a really good way of us resolving any tensions that are around and building better collaboration. Mm -hmm. So always all of our interventions that I try and build are around conversations. I am a statistician and I, I even like decimal places, which I know makes me weird, but it isn't the numbers that changes organizations. It's the relationships, it's the conversations, it's the reflection processes. And so encouraging teams to talk more about how their experience of work is going is one of the key things. And it's, it's sort of a problem shared as a problem halved. And actually, you'll find unexpected sources of support or people with skills that you didn't know about if you ask people about stuff. So, and even if it's something that only you can work on, just knowing that other people have got your back and are asking you how you're doing. If you're in a particularly, you know, stressful part of work, even if it's the, you're the only person in the team that can do that job, others might take other tasks off you. I remember when I used to run a team in a think tank about 10, 15 years ago, if someone was working on a, on a particularly time deadline project, Others would take other tasks off them so they could have more time for that. That's, that's teamwork, you know, and I think that teamwork is really where awesome work happens. It's unusual. It's not impossible, but it's unusual. It's all down to one person. It's normally relationships between people and collaboration that makes work awesome. And so those team conversations, I think I'm hearing one point is just that you're having them, you know, as opposed to, no, it's all on me. I just got to do it. I'm not going to whine about it. And they don't want to be brought down and, and hear my complaining, but rather being able to and engaging in, oh boy, this is tricky. I don't quite know. It's so confusing. It's ambiguous to be able to share and then to have some, you know, listening ear and some validation as well as maybe some ideas, solutions, you know, taking work off your plate. So, so it sounds like just having those conversations is, is the thing to do as opposed to saying anything in particular in those team conversations, or are there some key specific conversations you really recommend folks would be having? So there are some key specific things I think we're having, and there is also the general effect. I think the two things are there. And, and, and the key things I think are in a modern workplace, which is so fast moving, we're really poor at celebrating successes. And we tend to move straight on to the next challenge. Done that, move on to the next challenge. And I think we should take a little bit more time. And I'm not talking much, five, 10 minutes a week to just go through about this went well, this went well, this person did a good job. And actually appreciating, you know, some people call it catching people doing things right, uh, recognizing that. But it's micro recognition. It's not employee of the month sort of recognition. It's just like, thanks, that's good, that humanness about it. That makes a huge, huge difference. And it gives people confidence in a sense that there's this basic thing that, you know, if we get positive feedback, uh, we feel good with positive emotions. And actually, we build resources for the future. We build our confidence, our ability to take risks. So that's all important. And in fact, that ability to take risks is really important. People call it psychological safety or dare to fail or whatever they want to call it. But, you know, if you're going to be an innovative team, you, you, not every idea is going to work and you've got to try them out. And so, but that support to to try and to pick each other up when something doesn't quite work is very, very important too. So there are some specific things like that. And I think 
one of the things we can do particularly about people's experiences is that we too often just accept people's first answer and if you go are you all right yeah if you ask them are you really all right you might get a different answer and i think mm-hmm. particularly during these difficult times we have to we have to ask a little bit deeper and we and and it's about asking as a leader people leaders asking a deepening question i mean you're a coach i think aren't you and you, you like the coaching what it's it's about noticing that a little door's open and just opening a little bit more and just saying oh what do you mean by that or give me an example of that and just ask those deepening questions so rather than coming charging in with advice or trying to fix it for them mm-hmm. open it out a little bit and let them explain you know the, the the context of their their challenge more or whatever it is because they'll have information you just don't have and also helping them to resolve it with you rather than you doing it for them is a much better way of doing it yeah that rings true can we hear maybe one more practice that makes a boatload of difference in terms of being happy at work <laughs> yes i'm sure we can do <laughs> i think of happiness and i'm going to find one this by starting to talk about it is, is as it's a two-way street there is about what we receive that's what's nourishing and satisfying to us and uh, and supports us and it's also about what we contribute and so i think that a happy awesome employee is someone that that gives as well as receives. So it's not only looking for what they need for them, it's actually them reaching out to other people and supporting them. And that can be your clients, it can be your supply chain, it can be people in your team, people in other teams, you can be a mentor to somebody, you can be a reverse mentor to someone higher up the organization. But those conversations that you can have with people about their work and what you can offer to them. So I, I think thinking about what you can give is a really good way to feel happier at work and in life actually. So yeah, what you can contribute. All right. Well, Nick, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think that when I was designing Friday Pulse, I'm a statistician, but and I, I wanted to have a measurement tool. And so you had to define a rhythm to that measurement. But it actually what makes the changes are the rituals you build around that rhythm. So if you're doing something quarterly, make sure you do a quarterly ritual. If you're doing it daily, make sure you have a daily ritual that can discuss it and process it. And we go for weekly ask people weekly and we suggest you have a weekly start of the week team meeting. So you have the rhythm of the measurement and the ritual. And I think that's the, that's the biggest design thing that we do with the tool. You know, the statistics is all there and they're all fancy and there's a bit of algorithms that processes them for you. But actually, it's the team meeting. If you do the team meeting every week, that's when people really thrive and actually start creating better teams experience for people. Well, we should probably give that a moment of time. So the weekly team meeting, what are some of the, the most critical things that need to get covered there? Yeah, I think of what we try to help with the weekly team meeting is a bit, I don't know if you've ever used something like HelloFresh where they deliver a, a box of food mm-hmm. to you each week and it's got a, it's got the, the menus, it's got the recipes and all the ingredients. You don't have to go shopping. Oh, man, if only they were sponsoring us the, today. They've done it. They've sponsored <laughs> us before, but the, have they? Sponsors eat it up when they come up in naturally in the interview. Ah, well, anyway. okay. Anyway, they, <laughs> I think of what we do for team meetings is the same is that often team meetings are a little bit oh, we should have a team meeting and nothing very much happens. And it sort of feels good because you see other people. We even, Now it's obviously on Zoom or whatever, but it's like, you know, I think there's sometimes not enough structure to them. And so basically we present it, we sort of give a sort of PowerPoint-y thing. It's actually online, but, you know, you go through and it, and it says, you know, that this is uh, how people felt last week. These are their successes. These are the people that are being thanked. These are people's frustrations. And you go through them in order. And so in a team meeting, I think it's very good to just firstly, start with something fun in that people often think that you know we should have we'll have a team meeting and we'll have cookies at the end or we'll have 
fruit or whatever, depending how healthy you are, have it at the beginning. Because if people are in a positive mood, they have a better meeting. So if you're going to do something fun in the meeting, do it to begin with as an icebreaker. Don't do it as a reward at the end. You know, Give it to them at the beginning, then you'll get a better meeting. So that's one thing. And the next thing is, is making sure that everyone speaks. You know, That's a really obvious thing to say. But if someone's an extrovert like I am, I can dominate a meeting quite easily. You know, And it's like, actually, extroverts like me need to learn to be quieter. And we need to learn to draw things out of the people that are more introverted. They very often hold a truth that you don't know about. And if you don't try and help them contribute, you won't, you won't understand that bit of maybe critical data to you as a team. So that sort of facilitative style of, of making sure that, you know, we're sure the extroverts can be, he- can be heard, but they should have their proportion time. And the introverts, you know, try and draw them out more, try and get people to, without bullying people, but, you know, but with, with, you know encourage them over time. And also, you know, being sensitive, if you notice, you know, we're exquisitely sensitive at picking up signals. I mean, maybe less so through Zoom, but when we're in a room with people, we, we pick up tensions, we feel them in our bodies, uh, that there's something going on well before we understand what it is. And don't ignore those signals. You know, I often say that feelings are data. What mm-hmm. I'm feeling is data. It, it doesn't mean it's a truth. You know, it could be a bit of data from 10 years ago from a fear I had, you know, that's when we get into problems and we probably should go up, put ourselves in therapy to sort things out. But it could be a bit of data that's right here in the room. And so how do you work with that? And and, and how do you draw that out? And how do you find out more about it? And I think being curious and sensitive and compassionate as a team leader, as a, as a group leader, is, is a good way to get a lot out of your team, whilst also needing to hold boundaries sometimes. You know, you can't let people run over. You can't, you've obviously got deliverables as a team you know they, that has to be met this is work it's not a, it's not a you know support group but it's how you you move towards together that and you know a work team a good work team is a brilliant experience i mean it can be one of the top experiences of your life a good marriage is good a good family is good a good sports team is good but a good team at work is right up there because you spend so much time with them and so you know it's worth investing in because it's it's just a hell of a lot better when you enjoy working with your colleagues just so much better. Amen. Yeah. Well said. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Viktor Frankl, the space between stimulus and response is where our growth is. That's not quite an exact quote, but it's something like that. I love the idea that we've got this ability, you know, something happens, we have a choice how we respond. It's how I think about emotions and cognition interacting. The emotion, the feeling comes, we can apply our intelligence to it to actually decide how we act. And it's that space, which is the maturation process. It's what signal comes into us, how do we choose to respond? So something might make us angry. We don't have to hit the person, particularly if they're your boss, but mm-hmm. we can respond perhaps in a different way. And that's how we learn and we grow. And in a sense, emotional intelligence for me is about having access to your emotional signals, but using your intelligence in order to how to, how to actually act on them. So I think that's a really nice one. There's an Aristotle one, which I'm not going to get exactly right, but it's something about how we learn by repeatedly doing that. You know, we don't suddenly learn from a book or whatever. It is actually by the doing that we really learn. Excellence is acquired by repeatedly doing things. And I think that if we want to be a good team leader, if we want to be a good colleague, it's about what we do in the world. It's a show, not tell world. You know, what we do, repeatedly do, how well we do it is actually how we learn. And that's why we should risk, because if you don't try, you don't learn. Those are good. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, probably the study that most changed my way of thinking about how to measure experience was a 2004 study by the steadily brilliant Daniel Kahneman. 
So Kahneman in, was starting to work on well-being in the early 2000s. Actually, about the same time that I was, I started about 2001. So I was really interested when he entered the field because he already had a reputation in, in economics. And he produced something which was came to be called the day reconstruction methodology, where he asked a thousand women was the first study about what they did yesterday. And there's a strong tradition in social science to do diary surveys, which is ask people how they spend their time. The difference he was, he said, how much did you enjoy that activity? And by putting an emotional tone into the research, he made the data come alive in a way I just hadn't seen. Most people doing happiness research, well-being, quality of life research, were asking questions like, how satisfied are you with your family life? How satisfied are you with your overall life? And they're perfectly good questions, but they're a bit dull. <laughs> and he suddenly asked, what did you do? How much did you enjoy it? And so what you found out was that the, the activity that they did most on the last day they were working women was work. It was 6.9 hours or something. The activity that they enjoyed most was what he very delicately called intimate relationships, but it was only 12 minutes. And what he found was that if he, if he asked people how much they enjoyed their work, it came second bottom. The bottom was the commute. Mm-hmm. And so you had the activities that they did the most of people enjoying the least. And at that moment, I thought, sometime I want to work on work. And it, it was another eight years before I did do. But in that moment, I thought, it's interesting. That's where adults spend a lot of time. So if I'm genuinely interested, which I say I am in making the world a happier place, work's a really good intervention to think about, about how to do that, because people spend so much time there. Mm-hmm. So that's my probably my favorite study. Yeah. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Oh, I've just read a beautiful book. I'm always reading the last book I just read. I don't know how you read. <laughs> and it's called The Reality of Time, and it's by Carlo Ravioli, and he's a physicist. And it's about how time doesn't really exist, and it really blew my mind. I did physics at school. I love science books that take me out of my comfort zone. But I thought what well, probably the most amazing thing was that he had this whole sort of treatise on what time is, what quantum time is, what thermal time is, and all this stuff. And I didn't know that apparently time goes slower if you're top of the mountain than if you're at the bottom of a valley because mm. time is affected by gravity. I didn't know that. I did know that black holes, couldn't you couldn't get in them and out them, so time didn't move through them. And, and I knew time was relative in the universe, but I didn't know that. And then, But what I really love is when he started talking about death, which is, I think, should be, is a favorite topic of mine um, and should be a topic of all of us. And he goes, he summarizes Epicurus and he goes, when I am here, death is not here. When death is here, I am not here. So there's nothing to be frightened of death. And he basically mm. said, death is the end of the experience of time for us. And as there will be no time in death, there's nothing to worry about after death. That was lovely. <laughs> all right. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job. Well, I mean, I, I really do like Slack, actually. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's just, I think bringing that instant messaging into the workplace has been really brilliant. We used another one called HipChat for a while, and then we moved over to Slack. I think, I think they're really good tools. And I have come to love my CRM system as well because it does save so much time. We use HubSpot. So those are tools that I use at work for productivity. Of course, favorite tool is Friday Pulse, but I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to say that really. <laughs> And a favorite habit? Oh, for me, walking. Walking serves a lot of purposes for me. I'm an overweight, middle-aged man. I'm not ever going to be very fast. It's my one exercise that I really enjoy. Swimming I do as well, but it has to be warm swimming. I'm not very good at cold water swimming. But walking, because I it's my meditation as well. It's my my thinking time, my creative time. It's my exercise. It's time on your own. I do like walking with my wife, but every other walk, not every walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks and you have it quoted back to you frequently? One of my mantras is that I really encourage people to take their happiness seriously and the happiness of other people seriously. 
it's something to take. It's not a light frivolous topic. It's a serious topic. I don't know if that's what you mean, but that's good. certainly yeah, sometimes you. people go to me, oh, yeah, I don't think about that. I think people don't think about their happiness enough, in my opinion. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, so FridayPulse.com is our website. I have a personal website, which is nickmarks.org. So that's N-I-C Marks. LinkedIn, if you like what I'm saying, then connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connections on LinkedIn. And we've also just created a sort of free personal reflection tool for people to think about their happiness at work. So, And it's a bit like one of those sort of 16 personalities questionnaires. But I would say it's more actionable because it's basically talking about the work you do now and what you can do to improve your work. And you can just get to that. It's just friday1.com. So it's, it's one because it's one person. It's one snapshot in time, but it's friday1.com. And you take the test and it will give you what I think is a rather cute report back with insights and reflection pieces in it. Okay. Well, that sounds also like a call to action. So we'll, we'll take it. Nick, <laughs> this has been a treat. Uh, thank you. And I wish you much happiness. Thank you. And you, Pete, keep awesome. I really appreciated Nick's take about creating a boundary between your work and your home. And, and we, we've got a Cal Newport episode coming up in, in a few weeks. And, and he has something he says, uh, shut down sequence complete is what he does after he finishes up shutting things down for work. And I enjoy just throwing away uh, a couple items from my desk. There's a tiny habit in terms of I can declare victory that, okay, this is done. Got some windows closed, got some desk tidy. I am raring for the next day. So good stuff from Nick. If you want to see the show notes, the transcript or the links, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F638. And I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.